online, on Radio Player, and on 106.6 FM. This is Wickham Sound, the Wickham Wanderers Show. Welcome to the latest edition of the Wickham Wanderers Show. I'm Colin, he's Bob. Actually, it's a previous edition. No, not really. <laughs> we haven't got many editions left. No, we haven't. Um, what, what, two after tonight? Yes, there'll be extra time. We'll be into extra time then. Oh, dear, yes, I know. It's, it's a bit sad, really, isn't it? I can't believe that the season's coming to a, coming to a rapid close. No, and it's been... It's, what, a, what, a, what a journey it's been. What, what, a, what a season it's been. Uh, a long, long, long road to hoe. Definitely, but I, I'm thinking back to the early, you know, the early run of defeats. Obviously, but it was so fantastic getting your first goal in the championship, and this, this is like the wrapping up. Of this will be the last show. We'll talk about it more, obviously. But the last goal, the first goal, I should say, the first points, the first. It's, it was such, seems like such a long time ago now. It really does, and, and actually, that that period seemed to take such a long time to pass. Sort of like waiting for even the first goal, and then the first point, and then the first win. Uh, you know, that, that seemed to go on for a few months to be honest. Uh, I know it wasn't quite that long, but it really did. Uh, and and also, it only seems like yesterday, and now here we are, we've only got two games to go, and we're still not yet officially relegated, which I think is, again, reason for, for celebration. Absolutely, yeah. Still mathematically possible. We need quite a, quite a goal swing in our favour, admittedly. <laughs> It's like 13-0 for each game would be ideal. Yeah, yeah. So, so you, yeah. I mean, it's not quite that dramatic, is it? So, so say we could win the next two, like three 0 and Derby could lose one of theirs four 0 and one of theirs three 0 then I think that would just about see us right. Oh, fantastic! Um, Doesn't sound quite so bad now. So, so exactly. So you know, it, still it on. could happen. It, it could still be on. <laughs> Not really. Well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get your hopes up. It would be a miracle, yes. Coming up this week, then, we'll, we'll reflect on Bob's trip to South Wales, which sounds like some sort of holiday report, but... Are you into Cardiff? Indeed. Uh, I did, yes. Not with Dar. Uh, it, was, it was very nice. I, I had a good time in Cardiff. I uh, had some very good fish and chips. Uh, you always have to sam- sample the local produce, I think. Um, and uh, heard from Gareth after the game as well, so we shall be playing that. And also, we'll hear from Joe Jacobson. Well, I say here... You'll try to hear from Joe Jacobson. It needs some needs some close listening. Uh, also, we say uh, here's to you, Andy Robinson. Is that too cheesy? Oh, very good, very good. Yes, looking forward to hearing your your interview with Andy. Uh, and we'll also be catching up with Matt Cecil as well ahead of the club joining a social media boycott, um, which starts uh, tomorrow. So, uh, reflecting first of all on the game uh, against Cardiff on Saturday, and there was, I think. Well, certainly myself, anyway, went into it with such optimism. And it's quite an exciting period, isn't it? Because you were, you were looking at other games and thinking, well, hopefully that will go in our favour as well. And, you know, we're on a bit of a, a decent bit of momentum. Things could, th- could be going well. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, it really did feel, you know, that, that yes, that there, obviously there was still a chance. And, and the fact that we'd then beaten Bristol City. Um, and so to then go a goal down was, was a bit like, oh dear. And, you know, to then see that some of the, the other results weren't necessarily going our way. Cause if you remember, Derby actually took the lead, even though they ended up losing. Uh, but that was pretty late on. Uh, so for, for quite a lot of the game, really, it was sort of being watched with a, a sense of foreboding. Uh, you know, fantastic that we, we got an equal um but obviously then then cardiff scored again um and you never quite felt that yes that we were really going to get back into it even though we had a good good go and david stockdale did, did go up for a few corners at the end uh which was exciting but unfortunately you know the the lightning wasn't to strike twice with regards to to stockdale saving wickham 
It must have been such a great feeling they're actually going to the game and having that ant- anticipation. Yeah, it really was. Uh, you know, it was it was great to to still see uh, again. I know that we keep saying it, but actually, you know, at this this late stage of the season, that actually we're we're still there, uh, albeit in with the most minor of shouts. Um, I think a lot of people probably had written us off and said that we would be relegated, say, by by at least the end of March. And the fact that here we are still right at the end of the season and that we even have these permutations to, to look at and think, oh, well, you never know if this happens and that happens. Um, yes, OK, you know, uh, it's not going to happen now or it would be a complete miracle if it did. Um, but the fact that on Saturday, yeah, there was still a chance. Um, and as I say, it was, you know, slightly disappointing that Derby then took the lead and then Cardiff took the lead. Um, but Wickham battled very very well um as you would normally expect um you know they're, they're still completely up for it and i would imagine as they will be for the last two games you know e- even if they go down gareth isn't going to let them rest on their laurels he very much wants to to a take it to the final game of the season you know that would be brilliant and we can do that simply by matching derby's result on saturday um and also how fantastic it would be actually not to finish 24th you know if we could climb above sheffield wednesday um or rotherham and or rotherham uh you know that again that would still be a real achievement as you'll hear from the man himself who spoke to you bob after the game gareth personally i feel a bit gutted how are you doing um you're probably more gutted than me um I know that I know the status of this club, and, and if you look at long-term plans rather than one game or one season, uh, I'm so excited about what the future holds for this club. We've got some structure in place. Having this, you know, this early promotion to the championship last year was something that we could have only dreamed of. My biggest disappointment is the fans not being able to come and watch us. Even the situation we're in, I know the fans would have wanted to come here and see this, uh, but uh, and be with us and and and. and and pick us up when we need them but um, I'll do all the picking up that everyone needs to, to do and uh, my challenge now is let's not finish bottom of the league uh, and the positive is there's a, there's a chance to get another promotion on the CV now and uh, and I'll be properly aiming for that um, Slightly cheeky question are, are you the man that will be leading Wickham back into the Championship? A <laughs> very cheeky question at the moment I am the Wickham Wanderers manager and I am so proud to be there and I, you will have my all um, to get back to this championship because I've loved it and you know what we've learned so much we will uh, we will definitely not be losing the next the first seven games next time and uh, and we'll be we'll be very competitive uh, it's just now getting back here because that league below seems pretty competitive it's a mini championship in itself um, but you know Wickham championship well five years ago we, we we'd have been laughed at if we'd have started speaking like this so uh I'm, uh, I'm really proud and, like I say, really, really looking forward to, to picking everyone up at the club. And you look back at those games against Torquay and the, the playoff final against Southend and you look where they are now and you look where we are and, you know, it is just an incredible story. It, unbelievable story and I, I hope people do look it back and, and, and put things in perspective. Um, we, we're a million miles away from being a, a championship outfit but um, we were 10 million miles away before we got to the championship and we got Rob Keogh and Pete Keogh involved um, we'll get there we'll get there and for me to have played a part in, in any of that um, I'm really proud really honoured and uh, like I said the people at Wickham can can sleep safe that I'm totally committed to uh, to doing this job and, and uh, I really really enjoy managing this football club a lawnmower in the background of uh, your chat with Gareth but uh, stand by for a much more <laughs> prominent lawnmower shortly <laughs> 
<laughs> Joe Jacobson actually on the lawnmower. Uh, uh, we, <laughs> the lawnmower will be the real star of, of the interview with, with Joe Jacobson, but you, you'll have to listen hard to, to note he's there. And uh, Alicia Povey asking the questions. Again, something which you might not realise whilst listening. But um, yes, interesting about your cheeky question. Yes, I know. Well, I thought, you know, I, I, I wanted to, to find out. Um, and I, I thought it was quite a positive response, really. A very positive response. Um, you know, with the, with, he's talked a lot about sort of like bringing us back into the championship and, you know, very much, yes, uh, without quite saying, yes, I'll definitely be the manager next season. Um, you know, I think that was about as positive as we could expect. So, so, uh, the people of Wickham can sleep easy, I think was, was the quote, wasn't it? Absolutely. Especially listening to mid morning the other morning when we had some top sleep tips as well. Which, <laughs> sort of counting sheep, apparently. Um, but <laughs> I like, like the way that you're always now trying to wangle something about mid mornings into the show. Um, I'm, I'm just now looking at the next permanent Preston manager. Manager odds. Uh, Gareth is still very much the favourite. Uh, oh. Two to one on. Uh, Nicky Butt four to one. Frankie McAvoy uh, twelve to one, um, and then various other people at twenty to one. Um, but anyway, you know, possibly they haven't heard the Wickham Wanderers show, uh, as maybe <laughs> Gareth's odds might might, <laughs> might go out slightly from from two to one on. <laughs> nice to feel we can have an impact on that sort of thing. Yes, it would, it would be nice to to think so. The odds-altering uh, Wickham Wanderer show. Yeah, yeah, indeed, absolutely. That that will be something to to put on the the advertising uh, banners for our program. So, before um, we try to hear from him, uh, tell us a bit about uh, Joe Jacobson's contribution. Obviously, scoring against his former club. Um, yeah, indeed. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, c- clearly the fact that it was his former club, the fact that he he had played for them and uh, played in the championship for you know all, all of those years ago, uh, you know, it was fantastic to see that you know the, that he did manage um, to get one back for Wickham. Um, and yeah, you know, just just really really a nice story because obviously um, he started at Cardiff, uh, is a Cardiff fan, so you know it must be really exciting to go back there um, and actually you know actually managed to, to play and score <laughs> so i'm gonna, about to do some satire uh, if you want to test your eyesight you can drive to a castle if you want to test your hearing uh, listen to joe jacobson uh, and a lawnmower at cardiff we've always been the same for the seven years i've been here the gap is still that's it don't give up don't finish until the final we've sold every single game every week, whatever the situation is i thought we did that again today i think we're throwing balls in the box. Stocker was up again, nearly getting on the end of things. There were some chances, there was melee in the box, but we couldn't quite get that little bit of quality at the end just to get the goal. But, you know, we'll never we'll never take die. We'll always keep going. And, um, you know, as long as I'm on the pitch, I'll be one of those who is, you know, gather momentum with other players to throw. And I, I think it shows today with the players I want to see at the end of the game that, that we do give back. Um, and obviously the boys will be disappointed going in at the end of that game, but what's, uh, what's Gareth's message for He's just said he's excited, he's been saying it for a while now, he's excited not just for this season, but for next season, the future of the football club, I think, you know, with Rob and Pete coming in and, and securing the kind of infrastructure of the club and, and the vision that they've got for the club is, is awesome to be a part of, and whether or not I'm here for a long time to, to see all that, but... Um, look, when the gaffer gets excited, he doesn't help but to gather you in it. And um, he kind of, you know, he's standing there doing his wooing and his like joking and shouting and, and things like that that he does. And I think you can't help but be infectious with that. And, um, you know, we just want to run through brick walls for him a lot of the time. And um, yeah, it's exciting. Like, what, you know, there's no other way of doing it. The boys are gutted in there, a lot of them, but we've got to pick ourselves up. We've got another game next week. And, I know it's not officially over and you know while this that's not the case then there's still hope and belief and 
you know, we've just got a couple of weeks to, to prepare for them. And uh, a top one coming up against Bournemouth, how are the boys going to look to be built? I think we've said, you know, whatever happens, let's try and take momentum to next season. And, um, there'd be teams who just filter off, finish with table and nothing to play for, and it's hard for them just to get going and motivated. But, you know, with a gaffer in charge, he won't let that happen. He's going to make sure we're on it, we're enjoying ourselves. You know, we've got nothing to lose. You know, we're going to go into the game, try to win, win the football match again, and, and hopefully buy a few goals just to, to keep it alive. But, um, look, you know, we, we still want to keep momentum going wherever division we're in next season. We want to make sure that, you know, we finish the season on the high and, and start next season in the same way. You'll be pleased to know that he did actually escape <laughs> via the helicopter, and <laughs> it sounds like he's clinging on to the skid pad, doesn't it? And and, and this is hanging out this with the microphone. It sounds like a, yeah, it, it sounds like a sort of radio version of Treasure Hunt, yeah. uh, which I think definitely <laughs> could happen with uh, Alicia. Uh, Look at another uh, one of retro mentions. We've indeed, had. absolutely. Very, Alicia yeah, would be Annika Rice, and <laughs> Joe Jacobson would be the the guy, uh, like the camera and sound man, all in one. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, Trumpton, uh, porridge. Oh, you should dig up that porridge clip for later. Oh, yes, indeed. Yes. Yeah, and I have to apologise about the porridge clip from last week. Yeah, uh, there's been a porridge error. I, there was slightly, yes. So I said that I thought it was either uh, Gobba or Fletcher that had said the uh, line, uh, which one's the goodie? Uh, but actually, uh, I was wrong about that. It was uh, Bunny Warren um, <laughs> who, who said that. If you didn't hear last week's show, you're probably scratching your head now, thank you. <laughs> Don't understand. How on earth did they manage to get a reference to porridge <laughs> into the Wicked Wanderer show? Well, we, we did. You, you have to listen back to the, listen uh, back the podcast. To find out. Yes. It'll, it'll be in our greatest hits show as well. Uh, oh, while I think of it, this just popped into my mind. I must mention that next week, to look ahead to the final game of the season, we'll be catching up with Alan Phillips in our, uh, our former player slot. Uh, he captained the side against Middlesbrough. See what we've done there. Thanks to JDT for timing. Very purposes. clever. Yeah. Uh, in the third round of the FA Cup in 1975. Which was an absolutely huge game. Absolutely, yes. Took them to a replay. Yeah, you know, which because at the time Middlesbrough, I think, am I right in saying we're, we're top of the table in yes, the first division? Joint top. And, you know, and we're, Jack Charlton got, was a manager. Graham Souness was playing for them. Yeah, but you know, so just an incredible feat um, that, that actually, yes, that you know, that, that we managed to get a draw. So, so yeah, fantastic. Yeah, lots to look forward to on our remaining shows, and then we'll have one more after that, after the final game. Uh, which we're looking to arrange something a bit special for. I don't think we can say yes. too much more about it currently, in case... Yes, hopefully. <laughs> uh, and, and be playing a montage of all of the uh, lawnmowers in the background. Yes, of yes. the various interviews that we've done. Uh, a best of the championship lawnmowers. Because <laughs> it is something, actually, notice noticeably, that does not happen at Wickham. They do not seem to get the lawnmowers out straight after the game, in the way that at Cardiff they off honestly, literally went, started the second that the full-time whistle had gone. I think Huddersfield gets my vote. Uh, yeah, Huddersfield was quite impressive with their lawnmowers. <laughs> They've got sort of like a fleet of lawnmowers. <laughs> They've got yes, some of the some of the second tier of English football's best <laughs> grass cutting facilities. It won't be such a problem next year. No, no, people will just be using um, secateurs, maybe. <laughs> yes, the, the Sunderland Flymo or strimmers. Perhaps strimmers is more of a thing. Yeah, I think that's uh, probably I don't know. Uh, maybe Accrington uh, use use the strimmers. Yeah. <laughs> just in case because i'm not sure have we, have we sort of done with C cardiff i think we have haven't we um yeah i, I think we have um uh, so the, the the only other notable thing that actually happened um oh yes your back, trip i've just remembered yeah, co coming back from cardiff uh was was a bit of a surprise uh so i stopped so so i stopped first of all for some fish and chips in cardiff just a completely random fish and chip shop which turned out to possibly be the best fish and chip shops i've ever uh, fish and chips i've ever had uh so if you're i, th I think it was called bintan's 
So, so if you're in Cardiff and it's a little chain of fish and chip shops, if you find Binton's Fish and Chip Shop in Cardiff, I can definitely recommend it. It was the tastiest fish um, that I think I've ever had. But anyway, so um, uh, so it was a little while. It took me a little while to, to get going back down the M4. That's what I'm trying to say. Um, <clears throat> stopped at the Lee Delamere services uh, on the M4. Service station um, spotters, take note. Indeed, yes. Um, uh, and to my surprise, saw Uchi. Yeah, in the service station, um, and to which I assumed that actually I was going to see the whole team, so I got quite excited. But no, I, I'm not quite sure whether he'd missed the coach or whether the coach had dropped him off at Lee Delamere. I'm, I'm not quite sure. Uh, but anyway, it was quite exciting to spot Uchi because obviously we, we we haven't been quite doing quite so well with the player spotting because you saw Uchi in, was it Sainsbury's? I believe so, yes. Yes, um, and I saw Daryl Horgan earlier on this year, uh, or earlier on in the season, uh, in Sainsbury's. Uh, so this is now our third spot, although whether it counts as a third spot, considering it's the same player. Uh, but anyway, uh, Uchi at a service station, I thought was quite a good spot. It does sound like now I need to spend more time at service stations. I wonder <laughs> if I went to Beaconsfield services and just sort of waited there for a bit, you know, that, that might happen. Yeah, I, you know, I mean, Beaconsfield services always always feels like a night out to me, or, or certainly <laughs> yeah, before the occasion. pandemic. You know, it, indeed, it is because it's got its Nando's and whatever. It, you know, you do feel like actually Beaconsfield services <laughs> is, a, is a place that people go just to, to hang out. Um, whether whether that's the Wicked Wanderers staff, I don't know, uh, but Uchi definitely it was him because he had his Wicked Wanderers badge on, and I did even speak to him, um, and he, he was wandering around Lee Delamere. But I, I can't quite work out what you know. It's how, a mystery, isn't it? Indeed, yes. Well, why he was there on his own. Uh, whether he was then, I don't know, being picked up by somebody else, I've no idea. We should try and get to the bottom of this, I think. I think Luke's looking up the fish and chip chops, see if they deliver. <laughs> I d- yeah, I d- uh, it, it was good fish and chips, but I'm not quite sure how it would be if it had to come all the way down the M4. Still to come on this week's Week of Wonders show, there's a mental image, uh, we'll be uh, catching up with uh, late 80s, early 90s midfielder Andy Robinson. This is Wickham Sound. Still to come on the Wickham Wanderer show, we'll be hearing from uh, Matt Cecil from the club talking about uh, their uh, backing of the social media boycott, which is uh, taking place from tomorrow right through until uh, a minute to midnight on Monday, uh, an anti-discrimination uh, move there. But first, in our uh, fantastic series uh, of uh, talking to ex-players, I must say a big thank you, uh, as always, to Alan Hutchison and JDT from the Ex-Players Association uh, for uh, the uh, excellent liaising, which has given us the opportunity to speak to uh, all manner of uh, players from different eras. Uh, this week, uh, the 1980s, the late 1980s and early 90s is uh, where we're featuring in terms of uh, midfielder Andy Robinson. And uh, we uh, will find out, first of all, how he became, it's an interesting story, as he'll tell you, uh, became a Wickham Wanderers player. It's, it's quite a funny story, to be honest. I, I finished at Carlisle. I refused a contract at Carlisle or the, the, refused the terms at Carlisle. And... Um, a friend who'd been at Carlisle, uh, Wickham went on tour somewhere. I'm not sure if it was Cyprus or Malta. And they didn't have a goalkeeper. I think it was Gary Lester uh, was the goalkeeper at the time. And Gary couldn't make it. Um, so I called Steve Crompton, who I was with, at Carlisle with. He was asked to go along. And he, he went along and had such a good time and said a good group of, uh, of lads. And the standard was good. Would I fancy coming down for a trial? So I said, yeah, yeah. So I came down for, for a trial. And they, and they were training at Bissom Abbey. So I stayed the night with Steve in, in Chalfont St. Peter. And as, as he took his car and I followed him, we got to the roundabout uh, at Beaconsfield and he was in the left-hand lane. And I was about a quarter of a mile behind him. So I'm thinking, left-hand lane, he must go left down onto the, onto the M40. So obviously I go left and go towards London and he goes right and goes towards Bissom Abbey. 
So by the time I turned round and and tried the next one then, so I was on going to Stoke Porges, um, and got to Bissam Abbey, they were just coming off the training field. They'd finished. So I'd, I'd driven all the way from Manchester, where I was living at the time, down here, missed the training session, but managed to say hello to Jim Kelman. Um, I then had to go home because I was, I was then going to be a postman. So I had to do the test for the post office. And luckily, Jim said, come down, and they were training up at the top near Handy Cross. So I came down, did a couple of sessions, and and that was that, really. Enjo- enjoyed it. Jim thought I, I was good enough to play in his team. So I think I signed I think I think signed two years at the time. It's fantastic to hear stories like that as well, because uh, supporters who either may not know or, or may not remember that sort of thing, it's it's fantastic to have that kind of kind of background, isn't it? And, uh, I'm sure as a, as a player at the time as well, you probably didn't think this, <laughs> this isn't anything too out of the ordinary, but it's really nice to know kind of how you arrived, if you like. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it. You know, I could have said hello to Jim on the phone. So really, I'd travelled eight hours round trip, if you like, stayed a night over, and and not done a single bit of training. But you know, it, it was nice to see that that the club, even then, invested in in Bissam Abbey to use Bissam Abbey, and then to have a good training facility, which I, th- I think might have been the, the college's facility at the time up at up at Handy Cross, which is now houses, showed me that. In essence, they had better facilities than Carlisle did that were in the Football League, and the players were as good as well. So it, it wasn't dropping down a level in players that you would play with or the facilities that were provided. Did you get to transfer to be a postman in the Wickham area as well? <laughs> no. I, I, went over, I did the test. I didn't even bother whether I passed or failed because Jim invited me back down, so made the right decision. So what were your first impressions when you arrived at the club? First impressions, very friendly, as I suppose most people say. Ivor looked after me, Ivor Beeks, when I first came down. He he really took care of me, Graham Peart. I lived in one of Graham's houses in Chalfont St. Peter for probably the first year I was down. So it really made me feel welcome. The same with Jim and the players, really. But most of them were, were part-time doing it for nothing at the time. Um, you know, the, the, the person who looked after the ground did it for nothing. Even the, you know the secretary and stuff like that, you don't really get to know as a player. They were all very friendly, welcomed you to the club, and, and really just wanted you to do well. A number of the ex-players that we've spoken to, it feels like that their the particular period that they were at the club felt like a really special time. And, and obviously, a lot of the players that you you played with during your time there, that was that must have felt like quite a special period at the time as well. Y- yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's changed a lot now. I mean, we, you know, we're talking thirty years. I think I, I left in '91 after the trophy final. Think a lot of things have changed, and obviously once once they go professional and they go into the football league, it's got to be professional. And, and a lot of the people that help them get there behind the scenes can no longer give give their time or get put to one side. I suppose, which, which is seems harsh, but that's the reality of a football club moving on to where they are now. But you know, at, at the time, Jim liked to train on the on the pitch which meant obviously the, the, the groundsman had to make sure the pitch was, was OK and we, and we trained to make sure that it was still OK for the Saturday. But that was one of his things. We play on the pitch, so we train on the pitch. The big bath down at... Because I was at Lotes Parks when I came down. You know, the slopey pitch, the big bath in the middle of the changing rooms. Things were, were very, very different. But did it bring you closer together? Maybe, maybe it did. You know, it's such a long time ago. But I know, you know, I thoroughly enjoyed my time there. 
It must have been so interesting as well because you kind of straddled the period and you're with, with Jim Jim Kelman in charge and also and then when, when Martin came in as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Jim, f- for me, in in my career and, and, and in football, Jim was way, way ahead of his time. Way, way ahead. You, you know, where they talk now of, of of tactics and systems, and you know, he, he played with a sweeper and two and two uh, fullbacks that pushed on Sean Norman and Steve Abley. You know, even then, I remember. I think we played Fisher one night. Malcolm Allison was a manager. And he said, uh, you know, how, how you play such a boring, he classed it as five at the back. I think we beat him. It might have been 5 0. And Jim, you know, he he knew the game inside out, an FA man. And it was, you know, it was so sad when it didn't quite work out in relation to how successful he'd been in the previous year. And then obviously Martin came in, steadied the ship, I think, for a. For, the first season that I was with him and then obviously moved into the new ground and then obviously took it on from there. Did it really feel at the time like you were, you, you were getting closer and closer to becoming a league club? I suppose, I suppose it did in my first year when we, sh- we, should have, we should have actually got to the trophy final in that year. We went up to Hyde on their plastic pitch and, and Kevin Durham missed a good chance late, late on and I think we lost 1-0. And that was our chance, really, to do to do that. From I think the, the the previous season when Jim came in, you know, Wickham was struggling, which is obviously why Jim Jim came in. And I think we finished fourth. We got to the quarter final of the trophy. We should have done better. Could we have pushed on? As, as a player, you kind of don't get involved in who we could sign and who we couldn't sign. But I know Jim brought Dean Dublin to the club. Um, whether the club could afford it or not, that was Jim's thought that we needed a centre forward to to push on. You know, a lot of the emphasis was on John Kerr and Mark West, but we just didn't have, you know, a, a big centre forward as a focal point or how we could change our game. So that was a little bit disappointing. And then obviously we we lost, I think, in the in the FA Cup or the Trophy to Met Police, and that was the end of it. Then that's when the supporters had kind of had enough and. Jim left and Martin came in. And what are your memories of the, the, the final against Kidderminster itself? Because it just felt like, and we've said to other players that we've spoken to as well, but it just felt like the whole town went and you know, you'd see people from school or people from you know, who lived in the area at the station or at the game, and it just felt like such a brilliant occasion. Yeah, I mean, for, for the town, it was, um, it was an occasion. I, I can't remember the, the, the figures, whether well, it's 40,000, but obviously 30,000 of those were, were from Wickham, just two or three stops up on the train or whatever, but we were, you know, the, the club looked after us, they took us to Burnham Beaches, you know, a couple of days before the game for the build-up to it all. What can I remember? <sighs> Not getting on, you know, being on the bench, being, if you're honest, being thankful that you're actually got changed and was involved, whereas, you know, a lot of my friends at the time then didn't get changed. Gary Smith, for one, very disappointed. Because you know there was, I think there was only two substitutes, myself and and Simon Hutchinson. So yeah, in that aspect, disappointed that I didn't actually play. You know, really pleased for the for the lads who kept you involved in it all. But yeah, it just goes as most people say, it just disappears. It's you know, it's over. Um, obviously, brilliant reception when we came back to the town um, at the town hall and and everything that the club put on for us. And really, I suppose that was the start, wasn't it? That was the start of the success. 
and then I left. I left at that's Martin. Martin wasn't sure whether he could offer me another contract for the for the next year, so I went on to Trevor Gould at Aylesbury. And are there any other particular sort of occasions or games or, or, or moments during your, your club your time at the club which especially stand out? You know, I if if I'm honest, I enjoyed my first year at Wickham more than any any year in you know in my career. Whereas you know, I'd, I'd been at United as a kid, had a year and a half as a professional, had a month on lawn at Burnley with Martin Buchan, went to Bury where Wolf McGuinness was, and then went to Carlisle where Harry Gregg was. So, you know, there were some some people who knew the game there. But I think from being coached and managed by Jim and the, the players that we had there, we had some very very good players there that played the system well. So that first year that I went there, from not really knowing knowing anything about non-league, as it was, there was a conference. I think then I really enjoyed the first year. But obviously, as time as time went on, when Martin came, he preferred Simon and and Keepy Ryan in midfield. I suppose with the, with the younger legs. So the last year wasn't. You know, I st- started off all right. I was in the team, and then I didn't really play. So I think yeah, the first year was 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 brilliant. And we like I said, we we kind of let ourselves down a little bit. We should have gone further in the trophy that year. I mean, like I said, great set of lads. Uh, at the end of the season, you know, we all used to go go away. So I think we went to Portugal. Mr. Beats came, so Ivor came, Jim came, the staff, and it was just, you know, a good group, really. And it must be great sense of pride for you to, to have made over a hundred appearances, which is something you probably didn't imagine at the time when you signed. No, that's right. Yeah, I mean, you sign, you don't know, you don't know how it how it's going to go, really. And then you think he was there three seasons, I think I was. So, you know, we played some, that shows how many games we played. And in my final season, I probably only, I don't, I don't know, the, I probably only played 20 or been involved in 20. So the first two seasons, I kind of played every week in different positions, I suppose. So, yeah, yeah. But again, it's, it's such a long time ago now. And I still try, you know, I still um, try and go and see some of the old boys, even older than myself, with the ex-players association, which is still is still good, and and obviously, such a shame that those loyal supporters haven't been able to watch their team in in the championship. No, definitely, that's something that's really stood out, especially you know during the the, the pandemic as well. And it, it's such a great thing to have the the ex-players association to share you know experiences that you've been through, plus you know generations before and indeed after you at the club as well. Yeah, because there are still, I mean, I, I, when I do manage to go, you know, there's still people who say hello and remember, remember me for, from 30 years ago. So those people are still at the club in some capacity. Others obviously say hello and are friendly, but don't really know who you are. You know, and, and in football, you, you say, oh, we'll keep in touch. And, we, we, you know, you don't really keep in touch. But good to see that, that Creasers um, still about and doing a few bits. I see Mark West every now and again. And Gary Smith and Steve Guppy at Nashville, so you know Andy Kerr, I think, is in Canada. So we we kind of keep in touch whenever we can, and keep his Scott. You know, and, and it's nice to meet up and watch the game, but obviously to try and get everybody together is tough. It's really nice that you are still based locally as well, because you, you'd imagine you know from other clubs people just move, as you say move away even to other countries. But it's, it's fantastic that you are still in the area. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, you wouldn't you wouldn't believe. Uh, what it was, what it was like. Then when I when I first came, you know, we we like I say we stayed in one of Graham Pitt's family homes in in Charlfont St Peter with another two lads 
then Steve and I bought a, a flat together in uh, in High Wycombe, which I, I still live in. Obviously, Steve's, Steve's moved out. And now think, things have changed. You know, that's probably when, when I came that people from out of town were coming into the football club. And then it's moved on again now where you know, people, people travel and they'll move on and go somewhere else and, and stuff like that. But yeah, for me, I went to Aylesbury and then did a little bit with Jim at church. He saw kind of it suited to stay in the area, really. And you're still doing football coaching today? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I coached I caught down at Bissell Abbey for, um, for the Fab Academy. Naz Bashir, who, he's a local boy who's, who you know, tries to give, give the local kids another chance. That have not, that, you know, in the professional game, and then I do a bit of coach education at a school in Reading, the Pig at School, uh, for kids who want to, you know, be teachers or professional coaches or you know, leaders of some kind. So I'm still in the game, uh, still local. Like I said, I don't I don't see Wickham as as much as I'd like to, and I still travel up to to Manchester to watch Man United. So yeah, football is still the be all and end all, really. And when obviously it's fantastic to see Wickham in the in the second tier of English football. When they did get promoted, did you did you feel a special sense of you know I was part of that? No, I think it's too um, too long ago. Um, you know, it, it, it's great that I played and um, we had a decent team uh, and stuff. But it's for other people to you know definitely pleased and a little bit like how on earth did that happen with such a a small club run by the, at the time, by the supporters, or looked after by the supporters, with Dobbo and, and the gaffer down there. How on earth have they done that? Wickham Wanderers in the Championship. What a feat. But no, I didn't take any, uh, definitely pleasure out of it, because it's, it's kind of my time now. I've lived here 30 years. Um, so no, not, not really any, <laughs> we started that. It's down to them, you know, the staff and the players now, and the people who still look after the club. It's an incredible story, isn't it? As you touched on, because I, I think my, the first game I went to at Lokes Park was in when '87. But f- f- from there to see, as you mentioned, te- teams you know like Fisher and um, Kidderminster and Kettering, and, and to, to now see them playing against well, you can't see them unfortunately, but but Adams Park against you know Nottingham Forest and people like that. Yeah, when, when and when you think think back to the first game at. Adams Park was Nottingham Forest. Um, I think Cluffy brought a team down because of because of Martin's things and it was a pre-season friendly against Forest. But yeah, you just and you know you look at the team the teams that that have gone up. You know Watford that are not far away. But you, you know the finance and, and the backing that that they've got at Watford and, and Norwich. You know those clubs down there, uh, they get twenty, thirty thousand. We can get four or five. And they still, you know, hold their own. I mean, it's, amazing, it's an amazing story from however many years ago is that they were nearly out of the football league. Um, you know, when when I played, our main uh, rival really was was Barnet. You know, and the dif- the difference in Wickham in the Championship and Barnet desperately fighting to stay in the Conference or the or the National League. You know, when you had Stan Flashman and, and Barry Fry at the time, completely different. I came down 88, 89, I think. So, yeah, the, the likes of Kevin Day, who, who lived in Wickham, Wickham boy, Westy, Wickham boy, um, Gary Lester. 
so all those were, were here when I when I turned up, and then I think David Carroll and like I say Gups, Keithy Scott, Creaser, Curry, Matty Crossley, and, and Gups. You know, Gups was only a young boy when when I was here, and then look how how he went on. I was going to say it must have been such a great feeling to be part of that team and the characters that were there at that time. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the team, and it, and it was a team. There was no stars. Westy scored the goals. John Kerr scored the goals. And they, they didn't, you know, they weren't the stars. They were just in the team. You know, we didn't have a squad of 24. We probably had 16 players. And you saw that the players that Jim brought in were better than the ones that, sadly, disappeared, which is the same, you know, is the same as myself. You know, Martin brought in players that, to win football matches and and I leave and others come in and the success carried on and then there was a bit of a dip wasn't there and and they got over that dip and then had just done well you couldn't you, if you if you wrote a book people wouldn't believe you of you know one game away from being in the national league to obviously a season in the championship and it's so sad that the fans didn't couldn't see that you know be there for that season. No, as you say, it's a fantastic story. I really appreciate your time. It's been great to speak to you. Thank you so much. No problem, Colin. Really enjoyed chatting to Andy Robinson and fantastic to reflect on a time, as I say, around that time when he started, 87, I think, just the season before, was when I first started going to, my first game, I think it was 87, and that was against Barnet as well. And I was interested that he mentioned about Barnet um, because it was 30 years ago today uh, that the Duke of Kent officially um, uh, opened Adams Park. Uh, it had obviously been, you know, this was the official royal unveiling. It had been open before then. Uh, unfortunately, we lost 3-1 that night. So, 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 so it's, you know, that, that's why it's slightly consigned to history, I think. Uh, Barnet scored two very early goals. It's funny, isn't it, how 30 years ago can seem quite a long time ago, but also not that long ago as well. Very, very true, yeah. Uh, you know, and th- think and just remember all of the excitement about the club actually moving and, you know, their new home and whatever. Um, and as you say, you know, a, a lot of time has passed since then, but at the same time, it does also just feel a bit like maybe not yesterday, but last week. Absolutely, or perhaps the week before. Um, oh, uh, by the way, in our in our continuing new series of um, corrections and oh, clarifications, yes. um, so I've already um, had to apologise about getting the porridge <laughs> reference wrong. Um, I now have to apologise to Finton's Fish and Chip Shop in Cardiff. It, it's Finton's, not Binton's. Uh, so if you were travelling around the Cardiff area looking for Binton's Fish and Chips, you'll be travelling for a long time. Uh, it's Finton's is the Fish and Chip Shop that I went to on the way home. Still to come on this week's Wick and Wonder Show. Other corrections, possibly, in the next 19 minutes. See, see we, we'll see what else we can get wrong. Uh, we'll be catching up with uh, Matt Cecil from the club as well about the uh, social media boycott planned for this weekend. Well, it starts tomorrow, actually. This is Wickham Sound. Final part of the Wickham Wanderers show. Uh, Bob said I can do this bit. Are you, sh- <laughs> are you sure you don't want to contribute? You can do this bit. That's okay. fine. Uh, still to come, we'll, so well. thank you. We'll be uh, telling you about a new signing for the future. Uh, but first, you might have heard in the news, I think it was announced at the weekend. Yes, it was. Saturday night. Quite late as well. Ten o'clock, I remember. Uh, that... Uh, the Premier League, EFL, uh, lots of other governing bodies as well, Women's Super League, uh, lots of others too, are uh, boycotting social media channels in uh, a protest against anti-discrimination and uh, racial online racial abuse. And uh, lots of other organisations since have uh, shown their support as well. Obviously, Wickham Wanderers being a championship club, uh, one of those backing 
the uh, the action and uh, Bob's been speaking to uh, the club's head of media Matt Sassel to find out a little more so tomorrow the club are joining lots of other football clubs uh, and even now rugby and cricket clubs have also signed up into a, um, a boycott of social media um, just let us know why the club are doing this I think it's been highly documented across football certainly over the last few months that there have just been a high volume of, of really discriminatory, uh, racist, offensive messages you know, aimed at professional footballers. Um, and those footballers, you know, quite rightly have, have gone public with saying this is unacceptable. And quite often they've outed the cases and the people behind it. And in most cases, the people um, posting these messages are anonymous. They're hiding behind anonymous screen names and photos and really knowing that they're not going to be caught in doing so. But, in, you know, their actions have caused a lot of hurt and a lot of offence to a lot of people. So football is kind of united now to say something needs to change. Um, and it's, it's not one quick fix, really. Uh, you know, football is asking the social media platforms to do more to, to clamp down on this abuse, to stop it even reaching, the, you know, the recipient and, and to stop footballers having to open their phone and be greeted with, you know, all these vile messages that have been coming their way. So... But, you know, that's one thing that football wants from the social media companies is to put this barrier in front to say, you know, these messages shouldn't be even getting through. But at the same time, there needs to be a level of education uh, towards people to, to show these people that are posting these messages it's not acceptable. Um, and this is, you know, the hurt that you're causing. And this is why, um, you know, you shouldn't be doing it. So it, it's really come to a head. Um, Swansea City were the first club to kind of publicly say, look, we're going to boycott social media for a period of time. They did a week earlier this month. Uh, Birmingham City followed suit. And I think football collectively said, you know what? Good idea. Uh, let's get behind it. And, and Wickham Wanderers have taken the decision um, you know, to do the same, to take part in this protest this weekend, to shut down our social media platforms, hoping that that silence speaks volumes and, and shows people that now is the time for change to stop these um, this level of abuse um, being so prominent in society. And I think it's fantastic that actually so many clubs uh, and organisations, as I say, even now different sports, are united against it. And over the past couple of weeks, we've all seen the power of actually when football does unite against something, how strong actually that voice is. Yeah, and as you know, as I say, it's it's a silent protest which will speak volumes and I think it will be quite an eerie place on social media. You know, we're all used to getting our phones out of our pockets on a match day and, and scrolling through hundreds and thousands of posts and there's going to be silence this weekend. Um, there'll be nothing to read, nothing to digest. Uh, you know, I, I kind of feel for the clubs that are going to have something to celebrate this weekend, whether it might be a promotion or a survival against relegation because, you know, social media is often a place for joy and for celebration and for sharing good news that you know you only have to look at all the content coming out of Cheltenham Town this week fantastic scenes down at Wadden Road with the you know the manager dancing in the car park in front of the fans and and, and that's kind of the beauty of social media right? it gives us all as football fans access into our clubs that wasn't possible 10 15 20 years ago um the dark side of social media comes in the form of these trolls these bullies that probably aren't football fans that probably aren't um you know, the ones that go to games and, and support the teams. These are trolls in their bedrooms who just want to be noticed, want to be acknowledged in some way. And their way of doing it is, is posting obscene messages to footballers and hoping for the response. So, yeah, it's, um, you know, I, I work in social media. I see the joys of it. I also do see the levels of abuse. I think we're fortunate at Wickham that we don't seem to have been 
the victim of it so much, but I do know that some of our players do receive abuse um, on a regular basis. And it's not just racist abuse. Some of it is absolutely abhorrent stuff about uh, wives and families and kids that is senseless, it's brainless. Um, and, it, you know, it requires those players to have a kind of a thick skin to it, but they shouldn't be expected to just be able to laugh it off or just shrug it off and delete it. Because, you know, for some people, it will really hurt them hard. Um and, and, you know, potentially affect their mental health. So, um, yeah, it, it's a big weekend for football. Um, I can understand why people are sceptical about what level of change it will actually bring. But I think if it sparks that conversation and, and kind of brings the topic to everyone's attention, then hopefully that is a vehicle for change and we'll see some outcome uh, for the greater good in, in time to come. And I think what is wonderful about it as well is that it is being done across such an important weekend, as you rightly say, promotion issues, relegation issues are going to be uh, resolved this weekend. Uh, it, this is not just a, a sort of paying lip service to something and saying, oh, well, we'll do it at a time where it doesn't really matter. You know, this is one of the, the key weekends of the season. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as I say, I, I feel for those clubs that have something to celebrate. Uh, we could be on the other end, I suppose. You know, we, we may be relegated this weekend and you know, I know as, as the administrator of our account that we would be subjected to hundreds of taunting, uh, taunting posts from rival clubs, which we've just come to expect down the years. And you know, maybe we'll get away with it this weekend in that regard. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's a really important time, and as you say, it's being done at such a critical time of the season that shows that the weight of this protest is strong. And I, you know, I think most clubs across the pyramid have now pledged their support to the boycott. And I think footballers doing it as well will really make a point that um, this is being taken seriously. Now, ultimately, you know, what outcome is to be driven? Um, you know, the social media companies, I know they're being lent on a lot to, to change their kind of security levels, I guess. Um, there have been calls that every social media user should have to register uh, a passport or a driving license number just so that those platforms know who these people are behind the accounts. And, the problem is it, it's not just that simple. Um, there'd be a whole lot of government rules and legislation that would need to change for that to happen. Naturally, social media is a global product, so it's not just one government that would need to agree to it. Um, and there are a lot of reasons why it won't be possible. You know, in, in some countries and some territories, people aren't actually given any form of government ID. And therefore, if you, you, know, you shut social media off in those territories, you're really denying people access to information and, and to having a voice and... and and sharing communication so that there are a lot of reasons why that can't happen um but social media is being lent on to say okay we'll find a solution then you know find something that will stop these messages um being posted in the public domain and reaching these recipients um and yeah it's, it's been this this kind of sad evolution i guess of social media where it now is is more often seen as, as something negative and hurtful than what it should be, which is this great community tool to bring people together to share good news and, and, and connecting people. So, um, yeah, it'll be, it'll be fascinating to see how it's received this weekend. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how many clubs and, and players, you know, don't um, kind of subscribe to it. Now, we have some players in our squad who have their own reasons for not wanting to take part in the boycott and the club fully supports them in doing so. And if they continue to post then they have you know the club's absolute backing and support in that um there are reasons for and against it and and we're all very much for giving people freedom of choice and freedom of expression so uh no we as a club will be adhering to it and we should be going back to the old days of uh 
just posting on the website. Who remembers websites, eh? But um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we'll be getting a lot of traffic to the website this weekend, uh, more so than other years, uh, yeah, other yeah. You, you know weekends. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I mean, I think that just listening to what you said, it you know, it is sad that that even you've admitted that actually, you know, it, that particularly if we got get relegated this weekend, you would expect, you know, a, 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 what sounds like an enormous volume of messages derogatory from fans of of rival clubs and it you know it, it's so sad that actually you're you're almost you're expecting that 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 you know that's a given and it really shouldn't be that way it, it reminds me recently i spoke to to beaconsfield mp joy morrissey and she very much said the same sort of thing to me about you know the level of abusive messages that she receives and very much playing it down in a well it, it's just part of being an mp and i really think exactly like you're saying with regards to the social media companies it, it shouldn't be that way you know it shouldn't be that way if you're an mp shouldn't be that way if you're, you're a football club and particularly somebody like yourself who is obviously the head of media you know you're the guy who gets to read all these messages and it you know it must affect your mental health as well i think yeah you know i, I have to kind of constantly remind myself that this abuse isn't directed at, at me matt Cecil. it's directed at representative of wickham wanderers um you know, I, I grew up watching football in the 90s and the noughties you know post the kind of 80s hooliganism issues which i've you know kind of read and seen a lot about it almost kind of felt like pantomime banter back in the day where you'd throw abuse at the opposition goalkeeper but he'd turn around and stick his thumbs up at you and, and that kind of fun level of camaraderie between opposition clubs and I think it's evolved now where it, it is toxic. Now we have muted well in the hundreds, possibly in the thousands of numbers of accounts who are clearly fans of rival clubs who just want to scream abuse at Wickham Wanderers because they don't like us for whatever reason or they don't like our players. Quite often we've let them down in an accumulator and they stood to win thousands of pounds if we won, but we didn't. Um, and really toxic, offensive, abusive messages. But I don't need to see that. I don't need to read that. It clogs up a timeline and I'd rather just see messages from Wickham Wanderers fans who may have a valid point to raise or a question to ask. Um, and it's far easier to kind of administer the accounts um, you know, in that regard. So certainly at the start of the season, there were a lot of fans who wanted to bask in the glory of Wickham's failings on the pitch. Uh, you know, every time we'd lose a game, those accounts for me just got muted. They just got turned off. Um, you know, they kind of wanted the recognition. They wanted a, a bite back from the club or they wanted Wickham fans to get on their backs. You know, that, that's the kind of the pathetic side of social media that I don't really want or have time for. So, um, yeah, and I think that that's one of the well, one of the great yeah. things about um, Wickham on social media is that you don't go looking. You you know you you don't send any silly snipey messages. And you know there there are certain clubs, and again we won't name any names that, that I think very much, you know, uh, have have got a case to answer almost because they do actually wind the fans up by putting certain things on social media and club officials making certain comments that just really aren't helpful in the in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, I agree. I think it's evolved, and I think we were probably, I'd say, guilty of doing so in previous years, but that's probably when we felt it was more pantomime and yeah. light-hearted. Um, and I think, you know, when social media came around, clubs were trying to find their identities online, and there were some great examples. I think there was a tweet from Man City right at the start of Twitter's kind of rise to prominence, and it was a, a Manchester City administrator debating the merits of the new Hyundai logo, or something like that, that was completely harmless, and clubs didn't know how to use social media effectively really and i think yeah where we have previously engaged in what we would have considered friendly banter with opposition clubs or fans we've kind of very deliberately turned away from that now made the focus about wickham wanderers and wickham wanderers only we don't want to offend anyone else we don't want to offend 
fans of opposition clubs or give them reason to turn against us. Um, you know, social media is for us to engage with our supporters and, and not just go looking for likes and nibbles and you know, wanting to go viral just because we've said something derogatory about another club. Um, I think that that's, that's a responsibility that all clubs have, really, to try and keep social media and, and you know, the Twitter football community um, actually friendly and sane. You know, in, in a year where the whole world has lost its minds because of the pandemic and, and lockdown and being deprived, doing what we all love, um, you know, that kind of pent-up frustration, I think, has emerged on social media and, and given re- people time and reason to want to turn on each other and I think football has a part to play in saying no actually let's let's be kind let's um you know acknowledge that we all support different clubs we want them to win on a Saturday but let's shake hands at the end of the game and move on so you know I'm, um, I'm so completely 100% behind that and and you think you know the the be kind message is is so so strong um and I think also it, it's important to acknowledge you know that it, it's not just in football either it's not just footballers of course you know I've already talked about you as head of media we also know of a lot of journalists in particular female journalists who do seem to you know get a huge amount of abuse um just you know just because they are commenting on football yeah yeah, it's, it's horrible, and the amount of people that have come off social media because of that. Um, you know, the trolls shouldn't, the bullies shouldn't win, and they feel that like they're winning if they're able to prompt a response from somebody, whether it's a, you know, a public reply or somebody deleting their Twitter account because of abuse. It, it shouldn't happen. You know, I think the protest is sad in the fact that it is going to deprive the vast, vast majority of fans who use social media for good and, and want to keep engaged with their clubs. You know, it's a time of solace, isn't it? If Wickham Wanderers lose a game, quite often fans might feel disappointed, depressed, lonely. They want something back from their football club. And this kind of void of news and information this weekend, it's going to be a real shame for those fans who will just feel a bit distanced from their club. Um, and yeah, it will be uh, something that we have to try and overcome, obviously just creating the content we normally would do on social media across the websites. Um and it is a shame that it has to come to this, that the vast majority of people won't get their usual fix of social media activity because the clubs are taking part in this boycott. But it is time for something to change. Um, and we're pleased to play a part. You know, but as I say, fortunately, I don't think we are anywhere near as um, kind of victimised as some other clubs or players. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's probably not hit us as hard as it has other clubs, but we stand shoulder to shoulder with those clubs and those players who have been affected and hope that you know collectively we can force some form of change yeah completely uh well it's been wonderful speaking to you matt thank you so much for your time really really appreciate it and i think you know the vast vast majority of fans completely understand exactly why the club are taking part and you know would be a hundred percent behind it no absolutely thank you bob and i did say if we do win 15 nil on saturday we might need to break the boycott and uh and tell the world about it on social media, but uh, that might be asking too much. I think that'll be fair enough. I think a 15-0 win, that would, you know, be allowed. Yeah, I think so. Thank you very much uh, to uh, Matt Cecil. Uh, we are almost out of time on uh, the Wicked Wonder show this week. We did say that we would mention our new signing, uh, Chris Fruinio-Joseph. There we go, we did mention him. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> We've literally mentioned him. Uh, have a good week, back at the same time next week.